Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace, Gather family. It is Andre here. Uh, And I want to say for me, this Philippian series has really been something that has been challenging, uh, encouraging, uh, and also, uh, I would say, enlightening, you know. Um, it reminded me of, of a book by the name of uh, Immortal Diamond, and it's by uh, Friar Richard Rohr. And, and he talks about, uh, or in this imagery at least, of the diamond, uh, how hard it is to, to some level uh, make a diamond, yes, but even more so how, how a diamond is almost unbreakable. Uh, and he refers to uh, our soul uh, as kind of almost the very ground uh, being uh, of who we are, the most intimate, the unchangeable part of who we are as people uh, that is loved by God and created by God. And so as we uh, look at the first few chapters in Philippians, we uh, can't help but see the theme right? that we are called to participate with Christ. Uh, and most of this kind of um, stems from uh, this this poem uh, that we see in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It's called the Christ Hymn. And it goes into the life and ministry and person of Jesus as this servant king. Paul begins to paint this picture that the way of Jesus is the very juxtaposition of his current culture and context and situation. For for Paul's context is uh, this very nationalistic space and community uh, full of retired soldiers. So the idea of being a servant, uh, king, is almost, again, it's a juxtaposition. It's weird. It's like, how is that possible? Because servants are not usually celebrated well, right? Maybe that's not how it should be, but that's how it is. Not only uh, are servants not glorified or celebrated, uh, but also Jesus uh, is uh, the servant king that died, right? Now we believe and know that he resurrected from the grave, But most of all, it would seem as if the battle was lost and that it was over. He died. Get over it. And Paul knew that he was sending encouragement to his community, but he also was sending a letter uh, to ask them to beware of something. Uh, And Paul warns this community of those, as Richard War would say, the people who are overly invested in religious ceremonies, rituals and rules about naming who's in and who's out, for they love to protect boundaries. And Jesus did not come to create a spiritual elite or an exclusionary system, but he invited people to follow him by personally bearing the mystery of human death and divine resurrection. So as Paul starts Philippians 3, he is automatically letting us know that there is a desire for him to remind his community of the words that he said 
when he originally started this church. To watch out for those who boast in their religious piety, in their spiritual resumes. Now I'm going to read over Philippians 3, verse 4 through 11. Paul says this. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, he says. Circumcised on the eighth day, who doesn't love a good circumcision story? Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. And as for righteousness based on the law and faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes. And to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. When Paul speaks of these things, of these gains, of this reputation, the idea of being circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel is very much knowing that he is naming where he belongs, right? community. Circumcision was a sign of belonging. Paul is naming the gains that came from a religion that would build up his false self, his ego. It's not to say they were inconsequential, but he uh, was being built up as a zealot. Saul was. And it was a way that became a life of performance instead of a life of participation. A life of performance was the life in which Paul did everything right. His record was flawless. He knew the law through and through. He behaved in a way in which it led him to persecute the church, the very people he is speaking to in this very moment. He's saying that way of life was not the way that I was able to actually receive life. For me, maybe uh, it pales in comparison to Paul's uh, resume. Uh, kind of spiritual CV, if you will. Uh, but for me, uh, there was a very um, uh, hard season uh, for Terry and I. Uh, when we were in Durham, um, uh, the church we originally went up there to work for uh, was in need of health. It was a church that turned over staff a good amount of times. And due to unforeseen circumstances, we uh, as a family decided to, to leave, to leave that church. But Terry and I fell in love with the city of Durham. It had our hearts. It was small, but it was big at the same time. It was beautiful, and cultures were celebrated. 
And there was a rich history there. And Terry and I were on a drive one time through the city. And uh, it was kind of in this um, in-between period of uh, we have a, a good amount of money and, and, and the church uh, supported us as we left. And, uh, but we, we did have to make a decision, right? Like, uh, are we going to stay or are we going to go? Because uh, I need a job if we're going to stay. And Terry and I both looked at each other after the question was asked and we said, we should stay. Community was being built there and we loved it. So I immediately began looking for jobs and trying to figure out ways to make ends meet. And throughout that time, uh, as I was making ends meet, so to speak, before we actually moved back to Texas, uh, I was an executive assistant. Uh, I was an Apple employee. And last but not least, I was a janitor. Um, let me kind of twist those back. So I was a janitor before I worked at Apple. Um, and I don't know about you, and maybe you're more holier than I am, but when you go from a job of being a pastor uh, and being able to uh, speak on stages, be present in community, uh, it, it could be a job that sometimes uh, can very well tear down your ego, but sometimes can build it up. And uh, a lot of times in ministry, my false self, uh, was built up. And so when I became a janitor and the very people that I'm washing toilets for uh, used to be members of the church, it was a hard realization for me. There was an internal conflict that I really was not ever prepared for. And along with my job positions changing, my theology began to change. The ways I thought about God and community began to shift, and it was like almost the old ways were no longer working. Right? The old formula was not doing what it was supposed to do. And for me, uh, it was a hard hit to my ego, a hard hit to what I thought was my true self, but was truly the facade that afforded me status, that afforded me belonging and community, but was a facade that was one that was tiring to live into. But a lot of times through this journey, uh, there were markers where I just wanted to go back. I just wanted to go back to what I thought were the glory days, to where I thought the grass was the greenest it's ever been. You know, sometimes when you find yourself not in a good season, you tend to look at uh, the times and the spaces in which you would inhabit that you knew were harmful for you, but you believe and maybe uh, almost fantasize that, oh yeah, the grass was greener. You start to maybe delete some... Uh, things that actually happen from your mind because it's a little safer. For me, that's how I felt. I felt, well, if I just would believe the same thing again, I would have community again. I would have the same community, same belonging, 
And for me, uh, there was this very visceral feeling in this season. About all the work I did for you, God, what do I have to show for it? And it wasn't uh, until I read this poem from Wendell Berry and many other poems uh, that uh, this journey kind of uh, not made sense, but maybe made sense as best as it could. It offered encouragement to me. And it's this poem called The Real Work says it may be that when we no longer know what to do, that we have come to our real work. That when we no longer know which way to go, we have begun our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed, and the impeded stream is the one that sings. So gather, uh, I ask you this question, and I think Paul maybe might ask this question as well. Gather, what do we do when we stop working for God and begin being with God? What do we do when we stop working for God and begin participating in and with Christ? For Paul, the working for God part of his life that led to great accolades that led uh, to maybe extreme rigidity and the persecuting of a people was void of love. And the whole goal was relationship at the beginning, but the goal became performance. How many of us have that experience? And not necessarily to earn salvation was Paul doing this, but more so uh, I would imagine as many of us have done. A space of belonging, of safety, of certainty. For a lot of us, we share the similar stories. Some of you grew up religious and you knew the rules and the right behavior. But then maybe as I felt in that season, the formula stopped working. We started asking questions. And what didn't matter any longer was how many Bible verses you knew. You could not be certain of the things that you used to be certain about. The self that we found ourselves being in those spaces was not our truest and authentic self, but a facade that was easy to let people see. Thomas Merton says this. He recognized rightly that it is not the body self that had to die, but the false self, which is a substitute for our deepest truth. Our attachment to our small, separate, false self must die to allow our true self, our basic and unchangeable identity in God, the diamond, to fully or to live fully and live freely. In these moments, and I want to get back to kind of maybe Paul's context where he talks about these gains, how our ego can be puffed up in the in these communities and people meaning well. But it's very easy that we could become something that is just an illusion. 
I was with my family uh, a couple weeks ago, and we were uh, in Philly, and it was a great time. We're eating breakfast. Well, I mean, it was it was my my great aunt and great uncle's memorial, but it was a celebration. Um, they were beautiful people, uh, and they uh, were able to live long lives and impact many lives. Uh, so we're at this breakfast, and we're kicking it, and we're hanging. And, uh, I make a statement. Uh, and it's funny because uh, I made this and it, it was just like it was one of those things where it was very clear that I was trying to show that I knew more uh, and very clear that I was trying to show that I knew terminology. And they looked at me and said, hey, cuz we we used to change your diapers. We know you. You don't need to act bougie with us. And I'm like, you right. My fault. And in that moment, though, uh, even though it was a joke and we all joked about it and they laughed at me, uh, I was able to almost breathe. I was able to uh, maybe relax my shoulders a little bit. And I was able, in the midst of safety and family and those who did not care about my accolades or how many sermons I preached or or, uh, how many uh, people I've baptized or whatever it might have been, that I was able to find worth, value, and identity in my truest self, around people who cared about my truest self. You see, the idea that I'm trying to get at for us in Philippians 3 is that uh, Paul would encourage us to stop performing and start participating. That it's not the perfect formula and ways of belief and uh, Bible trivia that leads us down the road to our truest self. But it's that in all of our situations and all of life and our successes and our failures and our brokenness that we learn to be. And that we learn that God uh, is okay with us just being. And that in our truest self, the immortal diamond that is within us, our soul, our unchangeable being, that we are loved, that we are created, that we are rescued, that we are forgiven, and that we are free. And for Paul, in this moment in jail cell, as he's writing this letter, what does he have to show for it? All of these things gave Paul identity. All of these things gave Paul status in a community, but none of that community is around him. And he's all alone. And he's writing from a space of honesty and authenticity. So church, may we learn from Paul that we would move away from religion that builds up our false self to religion that reveals our truest self that if you are here on Sunday, or that you are here any time at Gather, we always say, and we desire to be a community of this, that you would come and that you would feel safe. And our desire is to see you heal. You cannot heal if you are not safe. You cannot be all of who you are, your truest self in this space, if you don't feel safe. 
And so for Paul, it seems like him participating in and with Christ is releasing the illusion that our false self affords us status, control, protection, but receiving the gift that our true self gives, which is no matter what, we are created, we are loved, we are rescued, we are forgiven and free. Participating in Christ and with Christ is the daily rhythm of accepting what is. Participating is living into liberation, freedom from the checked boxes that you thought led you to acceptance or status or power. Freedom to have a little bit of elbow room to expand and not know all the right answers and realize that rightness or correctness might not be the way of Jesus. To grow and change your mind, freedom to be transformed and live as your truest self. Lastly, I want to end with a quote by Michelle Derusha. Says this, I learned over the weeks and months of sitting in nature in quiet solitude that I'm a lot like the oak tree that clings so fiercely to its leaves. I suspect a lot of us are. We, too, clutch to our camouflage. The person we present to the world, to our own selves, and sometimes even to God. We, too, are unwilling to shed our false selves, to let go, to live vulnerably and authentic, authentically. Gather my encouragement to you is that we will learn from Paul. And it's not to devalue your accolades. It's not to devalue all the Bible trivia you've learned. It's not to devalue uh, uh, anything that has happened in your life around uh, the spiritual table, the way of Jesus, the church, the community of God. But it's that we wouldn't put all of our identity in those things, but that we would find identity, love, and our truest selves, and the fact that we are loved by Christ. Paul says this in Philippians 3.12, it's not that I have already obtained all of this, and he means participating in with Christ. It's not that he has already realized the way to go, or he has already arrived at his goal. but I press on to take a hold of that which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Gather, just keep moving. Keep expanding, keep changing your mind. Keep living in humility. Keep being with God. That through tragedy or success, know that the immortal diamond in you can't be broken that you were loved, that you were created, loved, rescued, forgiven, and free, church. That's who you are. So gather wherever you are, however you're watching. May you go in peace this week. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.